The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services, Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post-acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc. or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. All right, we want to welcome everybody back to our next podcast. It feels like it's been a while, but I'm here with a new and unique guest, Chelsea Guerrero. Chelsea, good to have you here. Thank you, you say hi. That's the microphone. Just is lean into a... it. Is, 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 <laughs> when I say is this hi. On? <laughs> yeah, so I, I this is going to be a little bit different of a podcast where we're sort of applying a lot of the principles that we've talked about, but we're going to be applying them to a very real experience of of, you know, Chelsea Chelsea has been on the sniff side of of the organization and as a few years back switched over to the new business venture side as the uh i don't know chief financial officer the money nerd i don't know what accounting your title is finance a- resource there we go finance resource okay and, and so you've had a chance to kind of see both worlds and also see the principles that we try to espouse here trying to almost reapply them and so I, you know, I think what I'd want to start by doing, Chelsea, is maybe talk to us about the new business venture program, what it is, right? Quorum services. We can talk about quorum services. And then, you know, things that you've encountered in the switch and, and you know, the progress that's been made. I don't know. If, I feel like I'm throwing a bunch of things at you at once. It was like 20 so, questions. So, I'll do my best to so, answer them all. So start by talking just about the new business venture program. Um, so, yeah, our new business venture program is really our core value of intelligent risk taking in action. Um, we try to find proven enzyme leaders. Um and that have a passion that may be outside of skilled nursing. So, so proven lead, by proven leaders, you mean those that have really demonstrated that they can be successful on the SNF side and they, they want to apply that leadership ability to a different industry. Yeah, and usually it starts by solving a problem in a market. And then those leaders bring that idea to the team and, and come up with solutions and start to figure out, is there a business solution that we can enter into a market and and partner and be a partner to our skilled nursing facilities? So it's almost like they're going in front of investment bankers or venture capitalists and and proposing an idea and and having to pass that idea, right? It's one way to look at it, yeah. definitely. No, am I, looking, I might be looking at it the wrong way. So how many do we have at this point? So today we have three different business lines. It's about 15 different operations, and they've all started differently. Um, but they've all started as being a solution to a potential issue in a market um, with the support of that proven enzyme leader. Um, and then as we kind of started to come together, we created Quorum and Quorum Services. And Quorum Services is really that service center that's there to support our non-skilled nursing facility business lines. And so it's the Ensign Services to the SNF world. The Quorum Services is is the service center to the new business. Okay. Right. It. And in the service center, we want to be nimble enough to be able to support any business line that comes our way. So today, while we might only have three different business lines, we want to be able to support any future business line that, that comes our way and, and 
be able to support them and be the experts in accounting and legal and risk management and HR. But it's not like you come up with the ideas. You're saying leaders come to you and propose these ideas and the, and the best ones make it through the funnel? Exactly. Yeah. So how has that gone? What's the performance been? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you asked about that performance. Um, about a year ago, we really started to come together and we were evaluating how we were performing and, and we were at six million in losses and really realized that we had strayed away from a lot of our principles. Um, so about a year ago, we came together and started to push on that flywheel. And in 2021, our EBIT was positive six million. Hmm. So $12 million switch in one year. That's, that's a pretty incredible turnaround. I, I, you know, I know we're not saying, Hey, we've arrived, right. We're, we're at the very beginning of this. And, um, and I also don't want to act like anything we talk about. We're saying, Oh, these are the lessons we've learned and now we're living imperfectly. Right. So everything we talk about, let's just throw this caveat in. We're not living perfectly. These are the things that we're, we're striving to live. Right. Um, but but it almost feels like or or you know in talking to you it almost seems like you've almost had to reconvert to these principles again right so so which ones like have really stood out to you which ones have have meant so much to you as you've tried to get this going like where do you want to start um well uh i mean i guess mostly i just have had so much respect for what enzyme services has done over time um, and realize that starting a service center or even just building those partnerships with operations has has been a real challenge. It's much more than just working hard. Um, it's really coming together and getting a lot of people to come together. And I think I spent a lot of time in tears with you, in fact, uh, <laughs> talking about these principles and, and how, to, how to come together. I don't know. I... Which is why I'd also recommend people go back and listen to the the Ensign, the History of Ensign podcast, because that is the pain uh, that that they went through as well, right? And and getting it started, it, it's it is a challenge. It's very real, and I think you got to experience a piece of that. Yeah. So I think really it was bringing people together, the right people together, refocusing on our principles. But I, I don't really know the answer of, you know, what the one thing is. Do you recall a time where you really started to see that flywheel start to turn? Uh, I'm the one asking questions. <laughs> well, I'm in this putting interview. it back on you. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do remember, you know, when you first started coming in and sort of uh, sharing what, what you were doing or trying to do and the frustrations it almost felt like first and foremost, and it, it's kind of unfair. Maybe, maybe Connor can represent Glenn, but but it almost seemed like you and Glenn as partners needed to connect with each other more effectively, right? Building up that trust and uh, you know learning to trust each other. And I, I, it seemed like once that happened and once that sort of trust and relationship developed, that you guys started to hit your stride. And and you could have good arguments with each other and and trust each other's intentions. And it seems like a lot of changes started to happen from there. I, but I'm I'm trying to read your face. Is that the right answer? Did I did I guess? Do I get an A? Uh, you pass. Okay. Oh, no, there was no right or wrong. The podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I I agree. I think that was a large part of it. And I think we're always striving to develop more trust as we continue to grow. And obviously that the people that we're developing that trust with that that continues to grow. Because, uh, Chelsea, I see teams that really struggle with this. 
and they're they almost don't want to solve that trust issue and they start working at all these other principles that they want to follow and i feel like it's the proverbial just trying to put lipstick on a pig right it's it's if you don't have that core nucleus of trust between partners then everything else you're doing is just window dressing for a bad product and and that's that's why i just think it's so crucial that's why i put it there yeah we definitely needed to start with the who and finding the right who as well as developing ourselves and each other into the right who um, you know, we had a lot of hard conversations and either making the wrong people the right people or getting the wrong people off. And um, we had to become obsessed with finding that right people and having those hard conversations. And it wasn't easy. Obviously, you're dealing with people and hard decisions had to be made. Um, but we also had to realize that it wasn't kind to leave someone in a position where they were failing. Um, and so we all we all deserve to be where we can have an impact and love our jobs. And in some cases that might not be in the seat that, that someone's sitting in. I think that's a good point because we sometimes think that we're being kind or merciful and leaving somebody in those positions. But I mean, I, I feel like I myself have been in positions where I'm floundering or struggling and I don't, I didn't like it. Yeah. I wasn't happy. It's not, it's not kind. It's not kind, not only to the person that's in the position, but also to the coworkers around yeah. them and the damage that can be had to the right who's when they see the wrong who doing things that bother them or make them feel like they're not as committed or I'm working harder and like there's just damage that can be done by leaving them in the wrong seat as well. I'm sure a lot of what we talk about will lead me back to this, but every time we say a principle like this, I always think back to the Moneyball questions, which we're going to do another podcast on the Moneyball questions, but but one of them is something the effect of my coworkers are committed to doing as good a job as I am, right? Like my, my coworker, your, your people, part of customer second is surrounding your people with others that are, are you know, want to do as a good a job as they do. But I got to tell you, I've, I've found as a leader that sometimes, uh, I shouldn't say sometimes, it's always a hard judgment call trying to figure out if they're the right person that you just need to help more or if they're just the wrong person. And and I I feel like coming up with that determination really is where the rubber hits the road for a leader, right? Like I sometimes I sometimes would just rather somebody tell me, what am I not seeing? Help me help me make this decision. But but that's my job as a leader to to try and uh help them understand that. I I, I think the best way to do that I'm sort of obsessed with determining what my mission or what my vision is, and then I just preach it until I'm blue in the face. And I talk about the principles and and I clarify expectations and and be as clear as I possibly can be on the why. And then basically, I see who's willing to follow me and who isn't, right? I mean, who's who's uncomfortable with these conversations? It's almost like I'm saying as a leader, hey, we're going to run a marathon. We're getting up early. We're eating right. We're doing this. We're doing that. And you're going to see those that aren't willing to run that marathon because they're going to get uncomfortable and there's, they're going to drop off. So I, I think that's, uh, I think one of the problems we have as leaders that we don't spend enough time pushing and preaching and reminding everyone of the why, the vision, the mission, what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. We came to realize that several of the organizations in the New Business Venture Group couldn't even articulate why they exist. 
Um, I think we even struggled to know why we as cluster partners were coming together in different lines of businesses. And yeah. um, there there just wasn't a passion or obs- an obsession. And um, I think I've heard you say a, a bunch of times, belief shines through. Um, if, if you don't believe it as a leader, it's going to be really hard to get your team to follow um, and they really won't want to follow you. Yeah, that's, they don't. that's Jocko Willink in his book, uh, Extreme Ownership. He's the one that just hammers home that as a leader, belief shines through. If you're trying to fake that belief as a leader, they see it. But if you truly do believe it, they they know. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, just helping them see that bigger vision and becoming obsessed, almost, you know, cult, cult-like and drinking that <laughs> Kool-Aid. <laughs> Welcome to our cult. Connor, you'll accept all new admissions, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a great exercise to, to do with your teams. Uh, if you want to know if you're succeeding as a leader, Go to people on your team and ask ask the question. Don't try and feed them the answer. Ask the question. So why do we exist? Why is our organization here? Why is our operation here? What's the most important thing that we're focused on right now? And they might stare at you like, well, I think that's your job. You're the leader. You're supposed to tell me, right? What are we trying to be best in the world at? If they are not crystal clear on all of these answers, you are failing as a leader in my mind. I feel like everybody, you need to, you need to make sure you know why you exist. You need to make sure you're preaching it and teaching it until you're blue in the face or beating a dead horse, or I can't remember all the other analogies that we've used. Uh, but, but if I go into your operation, I'm asking any housekeeper, any driver, any laundry worker, they should be able to answer with clarity those, those questions, right? With, and, and, and if they can't, that means you're failing as yeah. a leader. Yeah, I think that was a big thing for Quorum. We we knew we were a group of businesses coming together, um, but it wasn't until we really set that mission of why we were coming together and how we could partner together did we really start to function more as a cluster. In fact, we sat down together as a group and, and went through that exercise um, specifically. Uh, you know, why do we exist? And, and we came up with. Um, you know, creating life-changing entrepreneurial experiences for proven enzyme leaders and really started to focus on that mission. And, and then, like I said, it wasn't until we had done that that we started to have more rigor within our cluster. So help me out with that. What, what, does, what does having a more clear vision or being more clear on your vision, what does that have to do with rigor? Yeah, I, I think um, when people start to become converted to your mission, when they become passionate about it, um, and understanding their why, they're much more bought in. They're more willing to to speak up and hold their partners accountable. Uh, when you want something badly enough, when we want to make sure we're providing entrepreneurial experiences, we're we're willing to have those tougher conversations to get there. Uh, we we had become so siloed and so focused into our individual businesses. Um, that you know, it was harder to to poke and understand why we were doing certain things a certain way. But once we understood why we were together and and were more bought into being together, then we could start to ask those harder questions. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, it seems like the passion takes over, and that that's when people that makes sense to me. I I always loved the the sniff side, the vision of dignifying long term care. Uh, you know, an industry that has not been seen with that dignity. We're trying to to turn it and create that. And 
we have to become so passionate about that so that we don't slip and make decisions that are outside of it, right? I mean, everything, every decision we make needs to be held up to that light. And we've, I, you know, I think I've talked about that agnosium and won't hear. But so uh, walk me through some more lessons that, that you know, you've, you've gone through. Because I, I know it's been tough. I, I know it's not an easy thing to... Look, I've started my own companies before and it's brought me to tears. It's not an easy thing to do. You have to it's not just about stating a vision or or stating principles, living them as a much different animal. So so tell me else what uh, other growing pains that you feel like you've had to go through. Um yeah, I think a, another switch was a culture of transparency. We just started sharing data and people weren't used to seeing the data. Um it was it was a big shift. Um, but we believe in giving people as much data as possible and then let them determine if they want it and how to use it. There was no hiding anything, no decisions made in a vacuum. Um, you know, obviously, we're probably not perfect at this, but it's something that we're striving to do and making sure that we're sharing information. And then as we're sharing that information, if decisions aren't made that are in line with what we think the data should be telling them and how to make that decision, then we as service center partners are looking at ways to to make sure we're sh sharing that data in a more compelling way or making sure that we're highlighting areas that might be missed and, and just continuing to put data out there so that operations can make better decisions. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was in a debate the other day and and someone texted me. I'll tell you, John Albrechtson texted me and, and said, hey, I, I like your passion on this. And thanks for bringing the argument back to the data. When you have that data in front of you, it's not it's not a uh, uh -huh argument or you're wrong or you're stupid or it, it becomes, well, this is you know, you're telling me this, but this is what the data says. And if everybody has that data, they're much more willing and able to uh, engage in that debate and and feel that ownership. I know when I my first facility that I, I ran was Summerfield, I remember I would just, I didn't really know a lot about operations, but I would take that data and I would show it to CNAs, I'd show it to housekeepers. I would, and I would say, hey, help, look at, look at what this number is doing here. Tell me what's going on here. And, and they would say, oh, I know what's happening there. I, I can fix that. By showing them the data, they were able to come up with solutions. And eventually they were coming to me and they'd say, hey, what's my EBIT this month? Or what was my census this month? Or, and, and they became so passionate about the, the data. I, you, you've heard Rick Forscott's training on this. I have. Yeah. I, I, if you haven't, I, recommend you you call Rick I'm sorry Rick to do this to you but his his training on showing the score it's it's a powerful teaching that shows how sharing the data with others really transforms them into owners and I'm telling you we don't all feel this way it's it's a debate I have it's a debate I had yesterday with with uh, a group in new business ventures uh but it but it's this idea that you know, we still sometimes have this thought of, well, this data is below their pay grade. This information is below their pay grade. And I just don't feel like that is our model. I feel like if somebody wants to know the net income of their operation, they should be able to see the net income of their operation. And we should have be able to have adult conversations with them uh, as to whether or not, you know, if, if it's bad data and we're struggling, hey, I, you still need to know this if it's good data and and they're thinking, well, wait a second, where's mine? I think we just need to be honest with people and, and just have real adult conversations with them 
Because if we give them the information that owners get, then they'll be able to make decisions that owners make, right? And so that transparency, um, I don't know. I don't. I feel like I can't say enough on that one. I feel like I could keep going, but I, I won't because you're staring at me like, hey, I thought this was my podcast. No, not uh, at all. So, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> so, uh, so Chelsea, tell me, tell me then, like, what else? What, what else you guys have been working on and focusing on? Um, yeah, I think. You know, again, I think a lot of these things that we're talking about, I want to make sure like, yeah, I've lived it in in applying it in new business ventures. But I think that a lot of it applies in, you know, even service center departments or in a facility. Um, But uh, specifically this one, you know, finding ourselves talking about each other instead of to each other um, and getting rid of those side conversations and making sure we're getting rid of the meetings after the meetings. And if we feel like something needs to be said, making sure that we're willing to say it to each other and, and trusting each other enough to to be real with each other. And I know we probably fail at this every day. Um, but when people do come to us and want to have those side conversations, just continuing to try to redirect it. Okay, let's bring it back to the group and make sure you're saying it to the person or because it is, it is easier to talk about each other oh, than to easier. each other. <laughs> right? I mean, it is. And, and, and you know, I... I, I agree with what you said earlier, too, that when you have that passion for the mission, that you it, it almost makes you more willing to do that very difficult thing of talking to each other and saying things to each other. And it is it to me, this comes back to five dysfunctions of a team. Right. We we need to what what's dysfunction. Number one, vulnerability based trust. Right. We need to we need, you know, dysfunction. Number one is absence of trust. We need to be vulnerable enough with each other. Vulnerable to me means real. And if we're real with each other, then we'll say what we mean. And that means we're going to have debates. We're, we're going we're gonna to have, you know, arguments. But if I know that you're somebody that says, says what you're thinking, says what you mean, I don't sit there guessing, okay, she said that, but, but what does she really mean? And then we have speed, right? I mean, that's the, the concept of, of speed of trust. Uh, and, and there's, there's none of that guessing. And then once we trust each other enough to debate, that means everybody's heard. So we'll, if we weigh in, we buy in, right? So if we have enough arguments, then we're going to be more committed. If we're more committed, then we're willing to hold each other accountable. And the last dysfunction, if we're willing to hold each other accountable, we're going to pay attention to the results, right? So all of these things really build up to that, but it starts with, it starts with being real with each other. Uh, there's a concept called wabi-sabi that I've talked about. Sounds like a delicious sushi. It's not. Wabi-sabi is a term that means authenticity over perfection. So, you know, that, that whole concept of a vase, an old vase uh, that is wabi-sabi. It's old, but it's antique, but that's what gives it its value. It's not its perfection. As leaders, we need to be wabi-sabi leaders. We need to be leaders that are authentic and are real. As partners, we need to be wabi-sabi. We need to we need to just have real conversations with each other. If we disagree, we need to express our disagreement. Uh, if we made a mistake, we need to say that we made a mistake and talk about our failures. And uh, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's. It's so true. I mean, I should have said this earlier when we were talking about first two than what, but relationships really do precede results. And it's a heck of a lot easier to be authentic and and have those hard conversations when you have a relationship with someone than it is to 
to have those hard conversations with someone that you don't have a relationship with. So it really has been a key to success in, in being able to have the hard conversations with those that um, you, you feel like you can connect with or have the relationship or you know where they're coming from. And um, yeah, it's just... It seems like it comes back to that first question you asked me when you, you know, turned the tables on me. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, it, it was you as leaders connecting and having that trust and building that trust. Then you guys could be more authentic with each other. And it seems like, uh, you know, again, this is this refers me back to another Moneyball question, which is a precursor to to what I think will be our next podcast we record. But but Moneyball question number four says your people will be more engaged at work. And this is the quote, if someone at work cares about them as a person. If they feel as a person, right, not as a CFO, not as a CEO, not as a driver, not as a you care about them as a person and have have that relationship that that is the the concept of leadership and self-deception, right? The book that makes me feel more guilty than any other book that, that we read here. I can't I can't love and appreciate you because you make my life easier because you show up to work on time and you work really hard and you're very proactive that can't be the reason i need to love you is because you are a human being you have a person that has desires and dreams and and needs and and so you know if i'm in the box i really like you because you make my life easier and and we need to we need to care about each other in our humanity um the example I used last time, if somebody calls off for work, what's your first thought, right? Is it, oh, shoot, I have a hole I need to fill? Or is it, I hope they're okay? Okay, yeah. yeah. So talk to me then. I know we've talked about this a lot. I, I know one of the things that, that was really crucial for Ensign Services is building up the a couple of things. The, the service center field relationship. And then also the cluster partner kind of relationship, uh, what it means to be a resource and what it means to be a, a partner. Talk to me about your striving to develop that. Um, yeah, that's been hard, um, you know, really trying to um, figure out what it means to be a service center partner to the field and how to kind of toe that line as as you've talked about before the difference between a regional a consultant or a yeah. enzyme quorum partner um i don't know maybe you can elaborate a little bit on <laughs> this but <laughs> but i mean it, it it is really hard because there are times where i know we're field driven and we're we're trying to to service the field and do what's best for the field um but there are also times where we have to kind of have that hard conversation of no we can't do this for the field even though that's maybe what you want but we got to protect you from from yourself and and what um is you know the the right thing to do to keep the overall organization safe and um it's it's a balance and you know i think us specifically kind of had to take that shift from well ops told us to do that or they wanted us to do that or i just did what they asked yeah. me to do to really that's the regional mentality right they had a title that told me what to do and so i have to listen to it yeah and we had to shift into more of that okay well this is what they want to do but here's where i see there's potential risk let's have a conversation about it how do we partner together to get to the right answer but did you find too i mean so the other end of that you know is the consultant problem right where whether we as resources uh, at the service center or even as cluster partners, 
we don't act like true owners. We act like consultants, right? A consultant just says, well, this is what I think you should do, but it's up to you because our model says it's up to you and you get to decide what you do, right? But we don't want that either. No, definitely not. And and we were kind of in a place of that too. Um, and, and shifting into that mentality you've talked about before, this concept of 49% owners, which I think we have to be careful of to make sure we're not thinking, well, ultimately, you know, we're not the 51% owner, but the concept of, you know, we're, we're equally bought into this and we want to be good partners and, um, we want to make sure we're speaking up and again, kind of going back to that transparency and that data. And if we passionately feel that something should be a certain way, making sure we're continuing to present the data in a way that's compelling enough to, to get to an answer where we all feel good about where we're going. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the hardest line to walk, I think, right, is is trying to figure out that relationship and how we do that. But I but I do think it's crucial that we walk it, because I think when we when we stop walking that line, I think we become like every other organization. If we come like become like every other organization, we're going to have the results of every other organization. And and that's not what what we want to have. Um, So, Chelsea, this has been good. We've done a good job. Any any like parting shots, any, any last thoughts that you have that you want to share from, I I know it hasn't been easy, right? I, I, but, but it's also, I imagine been incredibly rewarding as you fight to start something and build something. Uh, you know, I know, I know as Christopher talks about Ensign, he, he always says it's, it's his, uh, what is it? 11th child. I can't remember how many kids, but, but you know, it's, 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 it's one of his children because he's basically had to bear it. Right. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So in that struggle, any parting thoughts that you want to share with us? Um, yeah, I mean, just the biggest thing or another thing that we've had to learn is acting with urgently and, and acting like, you know, this is ours and no one else is going to to act for us. And we can't assume that one of our partners is going to do something. And so if we see something really just being willing to have those discussions and being willing to take the necessary steps to move forward, whatever that may be, um, acting urgently has been another thing that's really been important to us. Yeah, I've heard in a lot of discussions, people saying things like, okay, well, if this were your money, what what decision would you make? And I, I think that that helps me to see that the partners are becoming vested in it. They're saying, look, we need to treat this. We are stewards over these funds and and how we affect it. And I I, I really see that as as great steps towards uh, ownership. So it's very exciting what's happening. It's it's incredible that you've gone just in one year, a $12 million switch from a $6 million loss to a $6 million gain and and knowing what could happen from here. Grateful that you took the time, Chelsea, to be here and talk about these principles. And uh, and hopefully people have been able to listen and apply them to what they're doing in their own operations. And, and we can just go from there. Thanks for coming. Thank you. And thank you, Connor. Okay, that's, that's the one. <laughs>